allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Thanks to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO or the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I'll be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer in a piece of paper bearing my name. I got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast here with your host, yours surely, Jai Shields, here on this Tuesday, November the 22nd, the year 2022, the 59th. Uh, anniversary of the JFK assassination. President JFK assassinated uh, in Dallas, Texas, at about uh, at, in the midday portion of the day. In his visit down in Dallas, Texas, by Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, in that fa- that one of the more infamous assassinations of a of a uh, of a leader of a country, one, definitely one of the more infamous days in American history. The It occurred 59 years ago today down in Dallas, Texas. But we are not here to discuss JFK. There's about a boatload of podcasts that will break that down for you here today. On this Tuesday of my favorite week of the calendar year, that is Thanksgiving week with Thanksgiving about 48 hours away, and we got lots of uh, football, the three games, of course, to uh, break down, preview, and give my predictions that will come uh, later on in the program. But we also have a Week 11 uh, slate of games to recap, at least the marquee ones, those that mean something. If you're expecting me to break down the uh, the Saints 27-20 uh, to victory over the Rams, you got the wrong show. And if you expect me to break down the World Cup, you have the wrong show. I... I am not interested in in soccer. Never have been, and never will be. Good sport. Not saying it's not, it's a bad sport. Or whatever. It's a better it's a better sport than lacrosse, but it's not, not a better sport than hockey. And if you think I'm gonna waste my precious breath discussing the USA and Wales one one draw. You got you got the wrong show. I am not going to sit up here and pretend I give a damn about soccer when I couldn't uh, name you their players or their coach or any you know anything out of a, and couldn't pick them out of a lineup. So I'm not going to bother wasting time. I will stick to what I am best at, and that's breaking down NFL football. We will here week eleven recap three games. I want to get off my chest here at the top. Then three games that occurred in the post four o'clock window on Sunday afternoon, and then Thanksgiving uh, preview, and I get you guys up out of here for you as a nice little entertainment. I hope you all are listening to the show, whether it's you're uh, preparing Thanksgiving dinner or you're uh, on that drive to your grandparents, your parents, your aunts, your uncle's house, or the plane ride. Listening to yours truly break down the uh, break down the NFL here on this uh, Tuesday show. Where we will begin is with the New York Jets and just the absolute, uh, just the absolute waste of time and embarrassment that Zach Wilson is as a starting quarterback. Zach Wilson, ladies and gentlemen, stinks. Ja- Zach Wilson. Is an embarrassment. 
Zach Wilson is a petulant child. He is immature and is on the brink of becoming one of the NFL's biggest, more recent busts at the quarterback position. Zach Wilson has issues completing the forward pass. He can't execute a screen pass properly. Did you know that Zach Wilson was 9 for 22? 77 yards passing. Got sacked four times. 77 yards passing, 9 of 22. You can make the argument that Zach Wilson produced the worst stat line of a starting quarterback in NFL history while not turning over the football. You can make that argument. He put together the worst stat line a quarterback can without turning over the football. Didn't fumble, didn't throw an interception, and the interception column is complete 180 from the three he threw against the Patriots in late October. But the caveat is he threw quite a few balls to New England Patriots secondary. One that hit Devin McCourty right in between the numbers is, is the one that that pops in your head automatically that should have been intercepted. Zach Wilson is a mess. And then Zach Wilson is going to sit up at, at the podium in the postgame Asked I asked a direct question. A direct question. Do you feel that you let your defense down? Do you feel that you you should be held responsible for this loss? The defense gave up three points. Three points. They couldn't run the football, the Patriots. They couldn't run the football. Their drive stalled out in the red zone. I mean, the the Jets, they sacked Mac Jones six times. Six times. The defense basically did everything but create a... The the defense basically did everything but create a turnover. But But create a turnover. They did everything. And Zach Wilson is going to sit up there and have the temerity, the audacity, the chutzpah, and the unmitigated goal to say after the game... No, I, I one a quick one word answer. No, I, I I don't I don't feel I don't feel like I'm responsible. I don't feel like I let my team down. I didn't let the defense down. Just no. We lost the game, but hell, not my fault. Special team should have made the tackle. I mean, it's a, the punter for kicking it kicking kicking it right down the field. It's not my fault. No, he wiped his hands clean of any responsibility. And let me tell you something right now, Zach Wilson. You are a quarterback, and I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't understand. I couldn't wrap my wrap my head around it for the life of me. You're a quarterback that a lot of people, many of whom who have played the position, and were pretty good at, and were pretty good at it, lasted in the NFL for a little bit. The Tony Romos, the Chris Simpsons of the world, who somehow, someway thought this guy was going to be the second coming of Patrick Mahomes, which... I I raised an eyebrow and scratched my head at it at the time. But now that has to be one of the dumbest, more head-scratching, blasphemous analysis of a of a of one particular player I've ever heard in all of my years of, of watching football being a football fan. I mean Zach Wilson to Patrick Mahomes. They do they have the same athletic ability? Yes. Do they can they move out of the pocket? Can they extend plays with their legs? Yes. 
But in terms of what makes a quarterback, what makes a star quarterback, what makes a championship-level quarterback, what wins you games? With the quality of play at that position, you saw what Mahomes had at SoFi on Sunday night, and you saw what Zach Wilson didn't have in at Gillette Stadium on Sunday afternoon. Patrick Mahomes is a leader of men. Zach Wilson is a petulant child. Patrick Mahomes is is a master at the forward pass. Zach Wilson struggles with the forward pass. Patrick Mahomes is arguably one is going to go down as one of the greatest talents at the position in the history of National Football League. He is going to go down top 10, top 5, not number 1, but top 10, top 5 of the greatest quarterback in the history of the National Football League. Who all he does is win. All he does is put his team. It doesn't matter. They can. They their running game could be piss poor. They can. They they can have Juju out, McCall Hartman out, Tyree Kill down in Miami. It doesn't matter. Mahomes finds a way to win football games. Zach Wilson. What does he do? If he isn't turning over the football, he's struggling with the forward pass. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen? Did you know? That Zach Wilson under pressure this season. That means when the blitz is when 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 teams pin their ears back, when defensive coordinators have their defense pin their ears back and say, "Okay, bull rush, get after get after Zach Wilson, make him sweat." Did you know that Wilson ranks the worst in passer rating, eleven point five? He ranks worst in completion percentage in all of football at twenty six point seven percent, and he ranks worst in the league in yards per attempt, averaging just three. Point two seven yards per attempt. All of those stats I gave you, that is the worst in the National Football League. His first 20 career starts with the Jets. He is 8-12. His, his touchdown to interceptions, 13 touchdown passes, 16 interceptions, a passer rating of 70%, and a complete percentage of 55.6. But wait, there is more. Do you know that Zach Wilson, in seven starts this season, has less touchdown passes than Joe Flacco? Joe Flacco, in three starts, who hasn't played a game since September, has more touchdown passes than the second overall pick in Zach Wilson. Flacco has five. Wilson has four. Do you know that the Jets punted, had more punts than Zach Wilson had completions? He had negative 21 passing yards in the second half. He's 33 out of 34 QBs. And passer rating this season, dead last in completes percentage, 32nd passing touchdowns to interceptions, 4 TD passes, 5 interceptions, and he's tied 32nd in pass in passing touchdown attempt, 2.1. That's 33 out of 34, dead last, 32 out of 34, tied 32 out of 34. 
And this man sat up in front of the media and had the temerity, the the the, the chutzpah, and the balls to sit up here and give the one-word answer. No, I didn't let the defense down. When he produced that horse garbage that those long-suffering Jet fans going back to the late 60s had the stomach and had to watch for a full three hours, the poor Jet fan. Shout out to Hay- shout out to my buddy Hayden, the poor Jet fan that has been that has suffered many a decades, many a years, and has seen their teams get get their asses kicked up and down the football field for literally for decades by Bill Belichick, who despises the Jets, despises them. Whether they're quarterbacked by Brady like they were for 20 seasons, Cam Newton for one season, or Matt Jones for two. And it's the same old stinking story. They cannot beat the Patriots. They can't. What are they? 14 consecutive losses to the Patriots now? The first loss was on Zach Wilson, and the second loss was on Zach Wilson. First loss, he was a double agent throwing throwing lollipop passes to every single def- defensive back to the Patriots known to man. And then on Sunday, he don't throw any interceptions. Should have had a couple of them. Don't throw any interceptions. He just says, I just can't throw a football, period. And we have more, and the Jets had to punt more than he had completed passes. And he's gonna sit up there in a post game as what with, with that with that with that smug, stupid look on his face. No, I'm not like like like, like he's above being asked the question. Like he's above reproach. Like 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 the like the the, the 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 media members for New York and Jersey. They haven't seen enough football. They don't know what they're talking about. They've been around the block and have been around the Jet organization. Some of them more than he than Zach Wilson's been alive. Some punk kid out of BYU. BYU now. They've had a couple of nice quarterbacks in that day. Jim McMahon. Uh, Jim McMahon, shout out to him. And, and the great Hall of Famer Steve Young. But BYU, which is, a, which, is a, which is a little secluded corner of the world when it comes to the big bad boys in college football. Who did nothing, accomplished nothing in college. Nothing. He isn't Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence who won a national championship. He isn't Lamar Jackson who won a Heisman Trophy. Accomplished nothing in college. Nothing. And he comes in here with his little cocky and smug attitude, thinking just because he just because he he can he can he he can he can Get women above the age of forty. He, I guess, it somehow, 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 in his mind, he thinks he's the second coming of Joe Namath. Well, you know what, Zach? Joe Namath won. You don't. You haven't. And when you have won, your team has won in spite of your pathetic performances. You started the game 0-4 with zero passing yards through one quarter of play. I am not making that up. Many opportunities, and you pissed it down their leg. Opening up the opportunity, Belichick, who is a genius, especially with the two side of the two, the two sides of the ball, special teams and defense. 
Defensive slugfest. You can't move the ball a lick in the second half. You keep the door open for, for the Patriots. And lo and behold, what did you do? You, 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 your punt team, the Jets punt team that is, can't make a tackle. And what do they do? They allow Marcus Jones 84 yards to the crib. Ball game. Pets sweep the Jets yet again. 10-3 New England. Good night. Happy Thanksgiving. Sayonara. And that's something if you're a Jet fan. Doesn't matter if you're 5 years old, 15 years old, 25, 42, 62, or 82. That's a performance out of your quarterback. You, in my estimation, wasted a second overall pick on. That's something that you that you put your head to pillow at night. It's something that, that you're happy about, you're proud of. Really? What a scrub he is. I, ne I never understood what people saw in him. Never understood. Never. I, I will never, ever, for the life of me, understood what... what 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 former players that now analysts on TV saw in Zach Wilson? I'll never ever grab, wrap my mind about what around what they saw. Because what I see is a kid that's got that that's athletic, but is just a complete mess. Not a leader of men. Doesn't know how to handle himself towards the media. And when the rubber meets the road against teams that make him sweat. He does nothing but piss all over himself. Game number two. Eagles and the Colts. I tell you, if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you got to be nervous about your, about your football team. Because, albeit they won the game 17-10, the Eagles started out this game very, very sloppy. They let the they let the Colts open and drive ten plays seventy five yards. I mean, just a well oiled machine on their opening drive. You can tell yet again the that 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 the Jeff Saturday effect, quote unquote, if you will, has still just it's still as as fresh and piping hot as it was with the Raider game last week. Team played inspired, motivated, ready to go, played with a certain edge, and were extra motivated because of the fact that they. Uh, it, it was a home, that it was a home game, and they had the home crowd, and they had the home crowd on their side. But the Eagles started out this game tremendously sloppy. Again, ten plays, seventy-five yards, right down the field. The the Colts put the ball in the end zone, go up seven nothing, and then with the, and then the Eagles on their uh, and then on the Eagles with their on their third drive, third offensive drive of the game. First one they got into the red zone, second and goal, botch snap, Hurts has to eat the play. Reds the drive ends up stalling and they have to end up kicking they end up kicking a field goal letting a 15 play 54 yard drive go in vain and then the first play in the second half Eagles get the Eagles get the ball uh, or excuse me Eagles start out their own 25 yard line Jalen Hurts gets strip sacked by Yannick and Dockway coming off the edge 
uh, Colts end up recovering it at the own at uh, Philadelphia's own twenty-two yard line, and 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 lucky enough for Philadelphia, the the uh, the drive for Indy stalled out in a uh, start out in a field goal, and the damage was kept limited. They they start out very sloppy. I was not impressed. They they got blitzkrieg to a certain to a certain extent. Uh, by the Indianapolis Colts defensive pass rush, Jalen Hurts got sacked three times. Uh, uh, I'll get to the AJ Brown uh, fumble in a minute. But why in the world, if you're uh, if you're um, uh, Nick Sirianni, I'm sorry, I'm distracted uh, at the moment because I'm looking out my window and there's some random black dog that is in my backyard in the leaves just barking up a storm. I don't know if that dog is from the neighbors because my neighbors are obsessed with these damn dogs or it's a dog that somehow got lost because across the way in the back, there's soldiers delight where people uh, have their dog and take it for a walk. And typically you can hear a dog barking all the way over here, uh, all the way over here, which is about, I'd say about maybe like a, half a mile, quarter of a mile walk from the soldiers delight over to the house of my property. Um, but I uh, either it, it got loose or a dog in the neighborhood, somebody lost it. There's just a random ass dog, uh, that is sitting in the uh, back, in the back yard, just barking up a storm. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. Uh, you know, it's called animal control, whatever the hell, but I know my ass is not uh, going to go outside dealing with some random ass dog, uh, you know, without, that's ain't on a leash. And the one thing I don't play with is dogs that are not on a, a leash, especially if they barking up a storm. So hopefully that'll get taken care of. But anyway, I digress. Getting back to the uh, Colts and the Eagles subject at hand. I have no idea what the hell Nick Sirianni is doing. Fourth and ten, you got the ball at Indianapolis' thirty-nine yard line, nine on four and third. What the? What are you doing? Going forward on fourth and ten, Nick. Just, just, just if if you think that you if you think Elliott can make the field goal, send him out there to kick the field goal. Otherwise, punt the football and pin Indianapolis back deep. I mean, what what are you? What, I, mean, I, I just again, these coaches going for it. I mean, it, it, they were down. They were down by ten points. 13, 13 to uh, thirteen three, and he's going for it on fourth and ten. And again, and and I'll get to why uh, why I re, I'll put the, I'll bring it on home with this with the Eagles winning in a minute. But I have no idea what the hell Sirianni was thinking going forward on fourth and ten. AJ Brown fumbles right after Jonathan Taylor put the ball on the ground, which gave the uh, Eagles a break. He fumbles. He fumbles about two plays after. What Indianapolis recovers the football, their drive lucky enough for Philadelphia stalls out to three. And the overall point that I tried to, that I'm trying to make here with uh, with the Eagles and why they were very fortunate to win this game is that th- they left a lot of points on the board. They had an oppor- they had an opportunity to uh, to put to put a touchdown on the board first dr- when they essentially stole a possession when Hurts got strip sacked. At the time, they were up. Uh, thirteen to three. They had an opportunity to make it. They had an opportunity to make it twenty to three. Didn't drive their drive. Ended up uh, there, or excuse me, they were up ten three. Had an opportunity to make it seventeen three. 
couldn't. Drive ended up stalling, stalling out in the field goal. They had an opportunity, of course, when the Eagles couldn't convert on the fourth and ten when they were up uh, thir- when they were up thirteen to three on the Eagles ensuing possession. Turned the ball over on downs. Eagle, or excuse me, Colts got the ball back. Failed to put the ball in the end. Failed to put the ball in the end zone, and the uh, and their and that drive ended up stalling in a punt, and they had to give the ball right back to uh, and had to give the ball right back to uh, to Philadelphia. Then they get the ball right back after the Eagles go three plays and eight yards, and they and uh, and McLaugh and McLaughlin misses a fifty yard field goal at the end of the at the end of the third quarter. That's another uh, bushel of points that they leave that they leave. Uh, that they uh, leave on the board. So the thing about with the Eagles and the Colts game is that you really can't sit here and say, oh, the Eagles, yes, you give the Eagles credit because for once their backs were against the wall. This is essentially what you wanted from them against Washington last week where their backs were against the wall. They were turning over the football. The defensive front was getting after Jalen Hurts. And then, all of, and then all of a sudden, you know, they get a couple of breaks, a couple of stops on defense, uh, force a few three and outs, and then they and then Hertz gets the ball back, you know, late in the fourth quarter, and puts together their best drive of the game. Eleven plays, seventy-five yards, uh, takes three minutes and seventeen seconds off the clock, and gets the gets the clock under under ninety seconds to go in regulation, and they end up putting the ball in the end zone, going out in front for the first lead all game long, take the lead seventeen sixteen. But the negatives is that is that if Indianapolis. Had the offense that they had in Vegas last week, they would have had against Indianapolis last week, or excuse me, against the Raiders last week. I'm not sure the Eagles win this game because, like I said, Colts left a lot of of points on the table. Miss the miss field goal, of course, of course, at the end of the third quarter, they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. They they their drive ended up ending in a punt when the Eagles turned the ball over on downs. Throw in the fact that they throw in the fact that they uh, let the let the gift at the first play of the second half. Uh, that drive ended up stalling out in the field goal when he had the ball in ideal field position at their own uh, at, at, excuse me at Philadelphia's own twenty two yard line. Brown the Brown fumble after uh, Jonathan Taylor fumbles that drive ended up uh, only ended up in three points for Indianapolis. So it, so it was an opportunity where the Eagles could have lost this game, you know, twenty eight to ten or thirty one ten, if the if the Colts were able to put the ball in the end zone a couple of times instead of settling for field goals. Uh, and then of course they have and then of course they also had a missed field goal as well. But if if you're Indianapolis, or excuse me, if you're the Eagles, when you're sitting at your Thanksgiving dinner table on Thursday night, talking about what are you thankful for? I, I hope one of the things is I'm thankful that uh, that that the Indianapolis Colts offense essentially was stuck in a rut uh, throughout the sequence of the game because the Eagles had no business winning that game, but they found a way, fought back, clawed back. You give them credit, uh, outscoring Indianapolis in the second half, uh, 14 to six, which ended up being a difference maker. And the Eagles, you know, they allowed John Taylor to have a not a great afternoon at running the football, but still pretty solid. Twenty-two carries, eighty-four yards on the ground, ran for a touchdown. And the Eagles' rushing attack as as the game as the game uh, continued and the running game basically able they were able to break the dam of the uh, Indianapolis Colts defense. They ran uh, combined as a team for a buck forty-one on the ground. Jalen Hurts was their leading rusher, sixteen carries, eighty-six. Yards on the ground. That is game 
number two. Game number three is the Lions and the New York Giants because the Lions are quietly riding a three-game winning streak heading into their Thanksgiving bout with the Buffalo Bills coming up in 42 hours. And the New York Giants have uh, lost uh, two out of their last, what, four? They've lost uh, two out of their last three games. And albeit are at seven and three, uh, things getting a little uh, hairy over in uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey with their 31-18 loss. They got lots of injuries with their secondary and, and on the defensive side of the ball. They got a, uh, they got a, uh, they got another injured wide receiver, and if there's any area where the uh, where the Giants can ill afford to have injuries, not just on the defensive side of the football with their secondary, but also their wide receiving corp, one of their uh, more weaker positions, one of their more weaker positions that they have on the roster, and what this win for the uh, for the Lions came down to, ladies and gentlemen is that the Giants have a very slim margin of error. They have a very, very slim margin of error where they have to, where when they play you, they, you have to agree to a play on the Giants' terms and beat them with, and beat them with their, and beat them their way, with their style of play. Running the football, controlling the clock, limit the turnovers, opportunistic uh passing from the quarterback and shut and shut down defense on the flip side. If you get out to an early lead and send a message to the to the to to the Giants, which is what the Lions did on Sunday, the the, the Giants are not talented enough on both sides to where they can keep up with you and they can essentially beat the Lions like the, they can beat the Lions and keep up with the Lions like that like that Bears Lions game did about a week or so ago. They can't they can't play you like that. They have to win games, you know, 21-17, 21-14, 21-10, 17-nothing, 17. They got to win games by keeping by keeping the scoring low and the big plays at a minimum. But and and if they can if they allow the big the constant big play or the w- once you know every so few, every other drive big play and you and you score about twenty eight or so points against them their chances of winning go go down exponentially. Uh, Jared Goff threw for didn't have a great. Uh, day statistically, but they were able to ran the football well. They ran for a buck sixty on the ground. Uh, Jamal Williams, seventeen carries, sixty four yards, ran for three touchdowns. Giants could not stop the run. They controlled the clock as well. They led in time of possession, thirty one minutes forty eight seconds. They were four or five within. They were four or five in the red zone. They uh, had put. The, they put. They uh, also were six to thirteen on third down. The Giants only five to thirteen. And just did an excellent job of running the of running the football and uh, and got out to a lead and never looked back. The Giants had a you know put up a touchdown. Daniel Jones running the first quarter. Graham Gano missed the PAT and that essentially was all she was all she wrote for offense with the Giants. Uh, and especially in the second and the third quarter, they were not able to run the football. The only the Detroit Lions defense give them credit. Held Saquon Barkley twenty two yards of rushing on fifteen carries. Uh, and uh, and they forced got after Daniel Jones, sacked him twice, and forced two Daniel Jones, uh, and forced two Daniel Jones, 
uh, interceptions. And the, and the Giants' defense, or excuse me, the Giants' offense couldn't keep anything going. And when you factor in the fact that the, Gi- that the Giants offensively, three plays minus four yards, first possession of the game, punt, uh, three plays, or excuse me, eight plays, 27 yards, their third possession of the game, punt. Right after that, Jones threw an interception, led to a Detroit Lions touchdown. Next offense possession for the next offense possession for the Giants ended in a punt, six plays, thirty-seven yards, uh, seven plays, twenty yards at the end of the half. Couldn't uh, could at the, when they were backed up at their own seventeen-yard uh, line. Couldn't muster a, a field goal to go into the half with any momentum. You know, nine play after another Dan Jones interception after the Lions marched down the field, nine plays, fifty-six yards, scored a touchdown. At the Daniel Jones interception, and then the Giants next next offense possession they punted, finally got the ball in the end zone, and after that they had a fumble. So you you punt, you turn over the football, and a lot of drives in, and your punts is not a recipe for success against a pretty good Detroit Lions defense, all things being considered. But the Giants got punched in the mouth. They've lost two out of their last three games going into a game uh, Thanksgiving Day against the Cowboys. Cowboys dropped 37. We'll get to their win against the Vikings in a minute. But uh, if you're the Giants, you know, reality could be starting to set in even at even at 7-3. and three. Meanwhile, the Lions are 4-6 and six and somehow riding a three-game winning streak, no less. Furthermore, they have a puncher's chance not just to beat Buffalo, but they also have a slither. But they also have a slither of hope in trying to steal a seventh wild card spot uh, in the NFC playoff picture because the Cardinals are dead and they do have tiebreaker over Washington. We'll get to the Cowboys, my Bengals, and the magic of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey coming up. This is the Amatelica TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Yamatella Like a TIS podcast. Why not? A little bit of uh, they call it Linus and Lucy, the great Vince. I never know how to pronounce his last name. Garaldi. Vince Garaldi, the uh, great composer and musician that put together those great uh, Charlie Brown uh, soundtracks. Not that wasn't the. the uh, Christmas version that you're uh, that you're used to hearing that was this that's the Thanksgiving uh, version of the uh, Linus and Lucy uh, Linus and Lucy song the unofficial uh, theme of the of the Charlie Brown uh, series that were fantastic from the 60s through the 70s and into the 
uh, early 80s. But we switch gears now to two teams that will be playing on Thanksgiving, uh, and that is the Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings. And boy, what a complete bloodbath of a game that was. Uh, and of course, as you all know, I go back and watch the condensed versions of the game, so I have a bit of a greater feel, and I can discuss the games in great detail uh in in greater detail than me just watching them with the chaos of Sunday afternoon you know I'm doing other things I'm checking Twitter I'm tweeting I'm looking at other games of difference I've only got one set of eyes to stand here. the point I'm trying to make is that this game was going up against obviously Bengals and Steelers which I'll get to in a minute and I had the Bengals and the Steelers because, and because I live in an AFC North market, I was a, and because the two and those two cities are closer uh, in miles proximity to Baltimore than Minneapolis and Dallas, Texas are. Uh, I was able to get Bengals and Steelers on my local CBS station, and I had Vike, and I was watching the Vikings and Cowboys game via the Sunday ticket. I, I saw a quite, I, to be full transparency, live while the game was happening. I saw like a handful of plays. I didn't, you know, because I was so glued into Bengals and Steelers, I didn't see a lot of this game live. I obviously went back and saw the 45 minute condensed version, but 45 minute to an hour condensed version but I did not see a lot of this game live but I but by the looks of the final score of this game and the box score it didn't look like I missed much that was if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan if you're Mike McCarthy if you're even Dak Prescott who I got on last week that performance that they put together against the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday that was what the football doctor ordered like that that 28 to 14 collapse against the against the Packers previous week that is what the pack that's what that's the type of game the Dallas Cowboys needed needed to produce and had to have heading into this divisional game at home, Thanksgiving, and they've struggled on Thanksgiving in recent memory. Andy Dalton won great in 2020 against Washington, and, and they lost to the uh, Raiders in overtime last year. So Thanksgiving has kind of been a house of horrors or, or a day of horrors for the Dallas Cowboys in recent memory. And Skip Bayless brought up a good point on Undisputed today that I thought was very interesting. You know, in 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 relation to the, and he brought it up when he and Shannon were talking about the 49ers on their show today and going back to the playoff game that they had uh, that they had at Jerry World back in January, is that AT and T Stadium. Not that the Dallas Cowboys don't have a home field advantage because they have a lot of fans and they do have one of the one one of the bigger fan bases in the National Football League, but. The stadium that they play in, the the now I'm just talking about the stadium, the environment of the stadium. They it does not have like that that extra oomph, that extra little thing added thing to it that makes it different from all the other stadiums and all the other home field advantages in the sport. You know, it's it's not the same as the link with with the Eagles. It's not the same as the bank. Here in Baltimore at a and it's different than Paul Brown Paycor Stadium up in Cincinnati, the jungle. It's different than uh, it's 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 different than uh, than than Raymond James with the Bucks to a certain degree. It just it doesn't have it just doesn't. 
not that again that they don't have fans, but it's it's different in the sense where, as Skip put it, where because the venue is so big, it's so larger than life, it's such a jaw dropping venue to, to to watch a game to watch a game in to play a game in to where you know it's hosted a Super Bowl, it's hosted many of big time college football many big time college football games semifinal games regular bowl games the the uh, the southwest showdown i think it what it is where texas a&m and arkansas they hosted many games between those two teams they host concerts they host wwe uh uh, uh um what do they call it? It's the Summer Slams. The I'm thinking of the big one, WrestleMania. That's what it was. They host the WrestleMania there. They host. I would imagine they host a couple of UFC events there, a couple of boxing matches there, concerts, Final Fours. I mean, it's it's such a big like venue where it's basically like a stadium version of Madison Square Garden or the Staples Center, so to speak. And that the venue is so big to where it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, I don't, not, not sing, it doesn't distinguish itself as the Dallas Cowboys stadium. It, it more or less is as a, it's, it's, it's AT&T state. And maybe that's part of the reason why it's corporate because they took Cowboys off of it and Jerry Jones sold their name and rights to AT&T, but uh, maybe that maybe that's the reason I don't know, but they hell I think they even I, I think they hosted the uh, NBA All Star Game down there one year. So it's such it's such a big state it's such a big stadium where all these other events and sports and, and entertainment have been have been located inside that building that it really doesn't distinguish itself as the as the stadium as the home at, of the of the Dallas Cowboys. Which is a point that Skip made down on the show, and I—that was a pro, profound point on his part. In the in the element of in the element that really nobody is no NFL team is really scared or threatened by by that environment. It's almost as if it's like the bigger the st- the bigger the stage, the better the team plays. Whether it was with the Raiders when they walked in there last Thanksgiving and they won, whether it was the 49ers that walked in there a couple of months later in the playoffs and won. You know, you can go you, you the when the, the when the Panthers in 2015 that huge year they had walked into Jerry World and, and curb stomped the Cowboys. The Bills walked in there in 2019 and got a, and got a win on Thanksgiving there. So it's it's almost as if like the bigger the stage, the more and more the opponent rises up and kind of and kind of you know it is it, comfortable in the moment, it's comfortable in the spotlight more than it is the Dallas Cowboys. Bring it all back home to say is that the Dallas Cowboys needed to win that game on Sunday, and the way that they did it was very, very impressive. Dak Prescott, by far his best game of the season, only three incomplete passes. Three. I gave him crap when he pissed the bed last week. I got to sing his praises, be consistent this week, because he played absolutely out of his mind. 22 of 25, 276 passing yards, two touchdowns, played a, played a perfect game. Perfect game. And 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 Tony Pollard, who and let me tell you something right now, and I, and I and I am not the first one to say this. And all you Dallas Cowboy fans out there listening, you can wait to Zeke pom poms if you if there's still some of y'all out there to the Cowboys come home. Y'all y'all know deep in your hearts, and I've said this for about two years now. I've said it. I've screamed it from the rooftops. I've said it. I've said it. I've said it. 
uh, Tony Pollard is the man. Okay, I understand you gave Zeke the contract, but Tony Pollard is the man. It's about time. I understand they had a nice little rushing touchdown or two of them, as a matter of fact, down near the goal line. But Zeke Elliott, is, is, he as far as as far as the number one top best running back on the depth chart for the Dallas Cowboys. With Zeke, that's the thing of the past now. 2016-2017 was a long time ago. The best running back on this roster is Tony Pollard. 15 carries, 80 yards on the ground, and then he was the Cowboys' leading receiver. Six receptions, six targets, did not drop a pass, no incompletions with the he and Dak connection through the air. Six receptions on all six targets, 109 receiving yards, caught two touchdown passes. He also had a nice big time, uh, nice big time reception on the third and 15 when the Cowboys came out of halftime on the third and, uh, excuse me, not 15, third and 14 when they had the ball at their own 32 yard line, 12 32 to go in the third quarter. Tony Pollard gets open, finds separation. Dak Prescott, excellent throw, puts it perfectly right in the bread basket to Tony Pollard, 68 yards to the house, and that essentially put the game out of reach, and the game was over from there forward on the Cowboys' opening position coming out of halftime. They went up 30, and they went up uh, 30-3, to and that's where the game uh, was lost for uh, for Minnesota. But he, he's, the, he's, the, he's the man. He's the guy. He uh, He's a great pass catcher out of the backfield. He can run the football. He's got speed. He's elusive. All the things that Zeke used to be, he isn't anymore. And if you're Kellen Moore, if you're Mike McCarthy, you got to take, you got to look at Zeke objectively and look at his performance in the vacuum that is this 2022 and even the 2021 season where you got to realize, I understand he's getting paid top dollar, so it's not that you can, you know, bench him, but Tony Pollard is a better running back than Zeke Elliott is at this not even at this moment in time. He has been for about the last season and a half. It's just it's the way it is. He's he's he is the better player. He is the better running back on the depth chart, and it went out there and it, and it showed itself on in the game on Sunday. He's a better he's a better pass catcher out of the backfield. He can run the football better than Zeke. Now maybe you know Zeke. Maybe Zeke is at his best where. You know, it, it where he's he's more of your goal line back. You know, third, you know, third, se- first, second, third and goal, or your short yardage back. You know, on on third and your fourth and ones and fourth and inches, fourth and twos. You give you want to give Zeke the ball because he's more thick, because he because he's because he's thicker and he's and he's bigger as far as body mass than. Uh, Tony Pollard is, I got no problem. Hell, it worked out for him. 15 carries and ran for two touchdowns. A couple of them inside the, uh, inside the, uh, deep in the red zone, inside the five-yard line. So, I, if that's going to be, but that, if you're the Dallas Cowboys looking at this objectively, that's got to be a game plan. Tony Pollard, you're the man. Short yardage, give it to Zeke. And if they stick with that game plan, Dallas Cowboys won't have a lot of issues on the offensive side, on the offensive side of the uh, football. I'd like, you know, CD Lamb and Gallup and Brown and Schultz even to a certain degree uh get a little bit more involved in the passing game because it was uh, it was it was a uh, you know, Tony Pollard did have a heavy workload and with a short and with a short uh recovery and prep week heading into the heading into the giant game in 2 days you wonder how you wonder if that will affect his stamina and it will affect uh, his not his availability, but will he be you know on on a 
little bit of not a shorter leash, but will will his energy level be as be as up and be as amped with only the four days or so in between games heading into the giant game on uh, heading into the giant game on Thursday, especially this Giants team where you got to be able to run the football a little bit on them and control the clock again to make sure that that the Cowboys play the game on their terms and not on the Giants' terms. But the best game that Prescott has had. Uh, had thus far in the regular season. That's the Cowboys' largest road victory in franchise history, 37 by 37 points, and 37 points in turn, 37-point loss by the Vikings. That's the second-largest home loss in franchise history. They preview their most loss, uh, their or excuse me, their, their first-largest home loss is when they lost 42 points to the then-St. Louis Cardinals back in 19... Uh, back in 1963, Pollard had 109 receiving yards, two touchdowns, and eight yards on the ground. Became the first Cowboys player with at least 100 receiving yards and 50 or more rushing yards since Emmitt Smith did it back in November of '93. The Cowboys also lead the league in sacks in the National Football League. More than more to that later on. Cowboys' largest road, largest margin of road, largest margin of victory on the road in team history. Getting back to the, uh, getting back to the uh the cowboys stats with the uh, cowboys uh stats with the sacks they lead the national football league with 42 they lead the national football league in sacks with 42 they sacked kurt cousins seven times the injured left tackle for the vikings really really uh, reared its ugly head their left tackle that they put in to replace get just got absolutely eaten up for lunch Primarily by Micah Parsons, uh, Cousins sacked seven times, 12 to 23, a buckle five uh, passing yards. They couldn't run the football great whatsoever. Dalvin, I mean, when you're di- when you're out of a hole, when you're playing from a 20 to nothing, and then it's a 30 to nothing hole uh, in the late second half, and then first first drive of the third quarter. You, when can you run the football when you're playing? From behind at a deficit, 11 carries, 72 yards on the ground for Dalvin Cook. Couldn't get it going. Justin Jefferson only held the three receptions, 33 yards. TJ Hawkinson was the Vikings' leading receiver with five receptions, 34 receiving yards. Uh, I am not, from a Vikings, I mean, listen, the left tackle got eaten alive by Parsons and the and D-Law and that Cowboys defensive pass rush, which, again, leads the league in sacks and got after Kirk Cousins. Uh, got after Kirk Cousins uh, seven times, and and the, and the telling part was on third and three with the on the Vikings opening possession. Parsons came through and strip sack Cousins. Cowboys recovered the football, uh, and it led to a uh, Cowboys uh, and it led to a Cowboys field where they couldn't capitalize on their red zone on they couldn't capitalize in the red zone possession. Uh, their second possession where they went 10 plays, 69 yards, and they had the ball, and they had the ball at second and two at the Cowboys' six-yard line, two straight incomplete passes, uh, and the drive ended up uh, stalling out, and the and the Vikings had to settle for a field goal, and that was the closest that the game was, and it was tied at uh, at three games apiece. Cousins just underdress all game long. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to write off the Vikings. I'm not going to say that, oh, look at this, they're over, it was a fluke. No, the, the Minnesota Vikings are a good team. They are the third, they are, st- I'm not going to put the, the. I'm not going to be do what everybody else has done, and that's put the, uh, and that's put the, uh, 
Carolina, the Carolina Panthers, the San Francisco 49ers on a high list as far as the team to beat in the NFC. Talent-wise, yes, do they have the most balanced offense? Yes, does Jimmy G, you know, does Jimmy G make plays? Is he a good, is he a good, uh, is he a good quarterback? Yes, I've always thought that. Uh, so, and, and, you, you know, things can change over the next few weeks. They, you know, we can put the 49ers as team number two, Team number two as far as best team in the NFC with the power rankings and team to beat, you know, we can discuss that as the weeks move along. But as of right now, I'm not going to put the 49ers there yet because they, and granted, they have an easy schedule down the, down the stretch minus the, the game against Miami coming up. And they do have a majority of the rest of their, uh, the rest of their seven games at home to close out the season. But they're six and four. They're not. They're not eight and two like Minnesota is. They're not. Um. They're not nine and one like the like uh like the Eagles are, and they aren't seven and three like the Cowboys are. So I would put Eagles one. Eagles one. You have to put Cowboys two because they beat the Vikings. Eagles one. Cowboys two. Vikings three. Uh, 49ers four. Have to go off the body. You have to go off the body at work. Yes, was their win dominant and impressive against the Cardinals? Yes, but then again, the Cardinals did sh- throw out Colt McCoy, and they're intentionally not tackling George Kittle walking down the sidelines with the game out. Of- the-, the Arizona Cardinals are a totally separate podcast, and forget segment, totally separate podcast episode altogether, all to themselves. But not, I'm not going to be prisoner of the moment. I'm not going to overreact to a certain extent. The, the 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 Minnesota Vi- the Minnesota Vikings are still the third best. And they're not the, they're not up there with the Eagles like they were last week coming off the Buffalo win, and them getting smacked in the mouth by Dallas does hold a lot of weight to it. They're the third the, the Vikings are the third best team in the NFC. The Vikings or excuse me the 49ers for now are the fourth best team. For now they're the fourth best team. Cowboys are the second best behind the Philadelphia Eagles who are at nine and one. Uh, and this is and this is and for the record, this is anybody's NFC. I don't think there's a team to beat. I think this is anybody's NFC. The Cowboys, Eagles, Vikings, 49ers. This is anybody's NFC to win at this moment in time right now. But the Cowboys needed it. You know that that embarrassing uh, blown lead, first time in the history of the, of the of the franchise where they blew again the 14 point or more def, uh, lead. Excuse me, heading into the fourth quarter. And they went out there against the Vikings, high high off the high on the hog, off of their miracle win in Buffalo uh, last Sunday, and they punched they straight up punched them in the mouth, punched them in the mouth. And I'm also not going to overreact with the Vikings. Of course, they had the missing left tackle. Kirk Cousins didn't have an opportunity to make a mistake because the because the Cowboys defensive line was chewing off, was saw, was uh was pinning their ears back and and just hitting them every single five seconds. So. So Kirk Cousins, one like oh, Kirk Cousins came back there. Kirk Cousins, he, I mean, what is he supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when he gets sacked seven times? Yes, I understand certain quarterbacks are able to make plays happen, sacked seven times, and others. Yes, I get that. I, I understand that. I get that. But lost saying entirely on Kirk Cousins when your defense can't get off the field on third and fourteen. I mean, what chance do you have when Dak Prescott only has three incomplete passes? What chance do you have? When the Cowboys able to run the football effectively, what chance do you have? When Dak Prescott is, is throws for two seventy six two touchdowns, 
they run for, they run the football for a buck fifty one and and three and they and the cowboy receivers rack up three hundred and seven receiving yards. What chances do you have? I mean, when the when the Dallas Cowboys twelve to seventeen on third down, what chance do you have? When they're killing you in time of possession, thirty seven minutes twenty four seconds to twenty two thirty six, what chance do you have? Two or three inside the red zone, what chance do you have? So this really was just an utter domination, and this is a loss that the that you could argue that it 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 you it could hurt the psyche of the Vikings if they're not careful. The Patriots coming off of that big win against the Jets on Sunday, uh, with the with the 84 yard punt return. So if the Vikings are not careful and they don't you know have that quick step back to reality and and get the bad taste of this loss out their mouth, it could it could snowball on them. It could snowball on if they're not careful. I don't expect them. I don't expect it to because they're a better team than the Patriots. Got a better offense. Got more playmakers. Better quarterback. They are at home, which is a significant advantage as well. And there and there's nothing. And the and there's the big advantage of playing the Thursday night game after the blowout loss five days before. The problem is with the Cowboys that the Cowboys got to bring themselves down quick. And get ready for the Giants game. The Giants have to have to keep pace in the when the in the wild card chase and in turn a, a game that the Cowboys need to keep pace with the Eagles for the number one seed in the NFC and also the NFC East. I, so the argument is that it's harder to come off. In my opinion, it's harder to come off the blowout win if you're a team that wins rather than a team that loses and you play on third and you play five days later on Thursday. Because the Vikings can't wait to get back out there on the field on Thursday night to play to play with the Patriots to get the bad taste out of that that thirty seven point beat down out of their mouths. Meanwhile, the Cowboys they're saying, "Hey, the best one of the best teams in the NFC to have a chance to get the, to win a division and maybe get the number one seed." And look at us, we the big bad Vikings after that miracle victory they had against Buffalo. Now all of a sudden they gotta reset and get ready for the Giants. You know, three four days later. So I think this is what the Vikings needed to kind of reset themselves a little bit, and then it's back to business against the Patriots on uh, on, th- on Thanksgiving night. And I'm not going to be too prison a moment on this. Hell, sometimes these blowouts happen. Very impressive. It was more impressive for on the part of the Dallas Cowboys than it was disappointing for the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings will bounce back. This is a victory for the Cowboys that they had to have coming off of that loss in Lambeau. They they needed this in order to get the the, the their mojo back and to get the team and the team morale back heading into the uh, Thanksgiving game against uh, the Giants coming up in a few days. Game number two is with is with my uh, Cincinnati Bengals who took care of business and uh, beat the Pittsburgh Steelers by a final score of thirty seven to thirty. Although the game wasn't that close, the real final score of the game. If you take out the fact that the Bengals offense, Bengals defense was out to lunch on the Steelers' final offense possession, it was 37-23. That that was the score in which the game was over with. Uh, just the, I mean, the Bengals offense somehow, some way, has been able outside of, I mean, you take out their embarrassing loss against uh, Cleveland, where they only scored 13 points and were a sieve. I mean, look at the outside of their loss against Cleveland. Since their Sunday night loss to the Ravens on October the 9th, the Bengals have scored 30 points, 35 points, 42 points, 37 points. Outside of their loss to Cleveland, their offense has been 
just clicking on all cylinders and have just been on fire. And I haven't missed the beat since Jamar Chase's and since since Jamar Chase has gone down. I haven't missed I haven't missed the beat. Offense executed perfectly coming out of the bye week. Started out sluggish, three and out opening possession, but Joe Burrow had a quiet 355 passing yard, four touchdown afternoon. Only got sacked two times, which is a huge, huge difference compared to when he got sacked seven times, I believe, in week one against Pittsburgh, first game of the season. Two interceptions, unlike the four against Pittsburgh in week one, weren't his fault. Two tremendous, uh, two tremendous plays. Uh, from uh, two tremendous plays by uh, Wallace and T.J. Watt, jump, jumping, jumping at the line of scrimmage and, and catching a football, just like a frog, like a frog sticking its tongue out, grabbing a, grabbing, grabbing food, grabbing a fly, it just, just sucks the ball right in. Wallace and Watt jumps up, brings the ball in, and T.J. Watt. I mean, good lord, man. I tell you something. You can have Aaron Aaron Donald, Mister All of a Sudden, second coming to Lawrence Taylor, if you want to. If you ask me what defensive player you'd want to take right now to start your defense, give me T.J. Watt because it, it got to a point of me watching that game on Sunday where all you gotta do is just laugh because T.J. Watt is so he is so damn good at his at his job at his position. I mean, it, again, you you can have you can have Micah, you can have uh, Aaron Donald. If you ask me, right, if the if the Steelers offered T.J. Watt on a for a trade tomorrow, I would I'd say where do I sign to accept this trade? He is that damn good of a game wrecker, and not just a game wrecker of of getting after the quarterback, run game, this and that. He's a playmaker. He is a defensive playmaker getting his hands up swatting the ball down at the line of scrimmage interceptions sacking the QB tackles for loss with the with the run game. he he's he's just all over the place and it's like at the end of the day it's like you like he's so good you can't even hate on you not that I and I haven't hated TJ White I've I've grown into a, a a mutual respect for the guy I mean, if he were, if when I don't know, whenever his, I know he's just signed a contract extension for Pittsburgh. If he ever wanted to become a Cincinnati Bengal, come on aboard. We took James Harrison. We'll take you too because he is so good of a defensive player. It's it's like you can't even like get mad at your own guys. It's it's like he's just you got to give it to him. He's just so good. And the two interceptions that Bro threw, one even his fault. It was Wallace and Watt making two great plays. Jump just all I had to do is just jump up in the end. They came down with the football. One bro making a bad read or 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 or, or, or the secondary player making a great play or or miscommunication. Somebody running around. No, it was just bro threw the ball and Watson White jumped up and they came down with the football. That's it. Other than that, bro played played a very solid played a solid game. They couldn't run the football very well. Mixon left the game with the concussion. He's in the concussion protocol. We'll see if he's good to go for Tennessee. Coming up on Sunday, they didn't run the ball well, but it was one of those days where where you know they had the ball in Joe Burrow's hands. The pass protection held up, and Joe Burrow was able to have a field day. 
T. Higgins, nine receptions, a buck 48 receiving. Samaje P. Ryan, uh, he won Tony Pollard in the game. He won Tony Pollard. He was pretty damn close, or pretty damn good, I should say. Four receptions, 52 receiving yards. Had a hat trick, three receiving touchdowns. Bengals franchise record, receiving touchdowns by a running back in a single game. Trent Irwin caught a touchdown pass with the Bengals just elevated to their uh, 53 not too long ago. Just a solid effort by the Bengals' offense. They found a way to put up 37 points against the... De Listen, the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense without T.J. White, different story. Pittsburgh Steelers' defense with T.J. White, one of the best in all of football. And and you can look and you can find the stats to back that statement up. Uh, dropped 37 points on the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense with T.J. White back. And T.J. White still was able to put his little impact on the game. And the Bengals still found a way to win, which I found to be very, very encouraging from a Bengals fans' perspective. T. Higgins, we know. Higgins and Boyd, they can be number one wide receivers on the, on the, on the Steelers, on the Ravens, on the Browns. We, just, we know how great that is. And any murmurings or any rumblings of Joe Burrow not being as good of a quarterback without Jamar Chase... That 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 win ended all and ended all conversations. Uh, ended all conversations with that. With the and with Cincinnati, they had a uh, 408 yards of total offense. Um, they were uh, they only committed six penalties for 44 yards. Perfect inside the red zone, three for three. They uh, led in time of possession. Uh, they lost the turnover battle, but still ended up winning the game, which I thought to be very uh, convincing and very promising as well. They sh that should have been the case week one if if we had a decent uh, holder and they were three of and the Bengals were three for nine on third three for nine on third downs, which I don't like. But they but they were pretty much were very efficient in every other offensive category. Uh, as well as you look, if you would look it up on your uh, handy dandy stat sheet, uh, the thing about Cincinnati that I didn't like outside of their inability to run the football and their and their inability to convert on third down, thing I didn't like uh, is the defensive side of the football. Way too much separation with the wide with the Pittsburgh wide receivers. They allowed. Uh, Pickens and Frymuth put together a decent afternoon. Frymuth eight receptions, seventy nine yards. George Pickens four receptions, eighty three receiving yards and a touchdown. Najee Harris ran the ball very well as well, which I which I did not like. I understand a lot of you know you can uh, customs you can pick and choose and, and cherry pick garbage time versus real game, but still get up ninety yards on the ground and two rushing touchdowns is ninety yards and two touchdowns nevertheless. Uh, and he allowed Ken and he allowed Kenny Pickett to make a couple of plays as well. So I would be very concerned about the fact that a Pittsburgh Steelers offense, which which has to pull teeth to score about seventeen to twenty points a game, they allow twenty three in real in in, in real uh, game time. They allowed twenty three points. Uh, uh, they allowed twenty three points of Pittsburgh, which I didn't like, and they allowed to march down the field when the, when they knew that the game was out of hand. They said, "Ah, oh, here's your here's your free odds. Here's your uh, free stats." Steelers offense. They allowed to march down the field. And uh, and put up uh, and put up thirty. And if they were to recover the onside kick, they would have had a chance to tie the game up late in the fourth quarter. So they Bengals defense got to learn how to finish. They couldn't generate any turnovers, which I didn't like. Didn't do a great job stopping the run. Too much separation with Pickens and Frymuth picking apart the Bengals secondary. 
Uh, so I was not entirely impressed by the Bengals' defense performance, but they but they were opportunistic as far as getting off the field on uh, getting off the field on third downs. Bengal the Steelers came out on the Steelers came out started second half three plays only able to move the ball a yard they had to punt next Bengals possession or excuse me next Steelers possession after the Bengals couldn't get anything going resulted in a punt so they held Pittsburgh to three consecutive punts which was uh, which was uh, which was uh, very very clutch on their part and after the uh, and after the interception by TJ and uh, interception by TJ Watt when the Bengals were up 24-20 Steelers had a chance to put the ball in the end zone to take the lead Bengals held them to a field goal which and kept the lead at 24-23 Cincinnati so made some stops which was needed in the second half uh, which which prevented the game from potentially spiraling out of control for Cincinnati and kept Cincinnati with the lead, forcing only holding uh, Pittsburgh to a field goal instead of uh, instead of a touchdown on a wide interception. But I don't like seeing them give up 30 points to the Steelers' offense, which isn't very good. And Matt Canada, who, who uh, somehow is still employed. That I did not like. But 6-4 six and four is 6-4. Six and four. They improved their record to 500 on the road at 3-3. Three and three. And they get their first division win of the regular season this year, improving their divisional record to one and three. Is their one and a half point underdogs heading into Tennessee in a rematch of the divisional playoff game against the Titans coming up on Sunday, which we will preview on a Friday show. And lastly, how about the absolute masterpiece and the magic of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey on Sunday night. Chiefs win 30 to 27. Never was a doubt when the when the Chargers scored a touchdown with about a minute and change left in the fourth quarter. Back in my mind is like you chumps left too much time on the clock for uh, Patrick Mahomes to march down the field and rip your hearts out again. And lo and behold, that's exactly what he did. Patrick Mahomes in the fourth quarter, only one incomplete pass in the fourth quarter, six or seven, 98 passing yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he, he, the Chiefs with that win over, uh, over Los Angeles was the first game in the Mahomes era when they had a, where Mahomes threw for 300 passing yards. Somebody had a hundred receiving yards and they had a player run for over a hundred yards on the ground. Mahomes and Kelsey combined for three touchdowns. Mahomes was the 14 and in his career on the road against, against the AFC West, uh, which is a, an impressive stat, which is really hard to believe and also uh they keep the winning streak going with Kansas City uh in December and November play uh and Kelsey surpassed Rob Gronkowski for the most games with 100 receiving yards by a tight end with 33 but I mean they are just on they're just out of this world 329 passing yards for Patrick Mahomes threw for three touchdowns on the afternoon no interceptions only got sacked one time no fumbles uh, Isaiah Pacheco running the football uh, for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who only got two car- only had two carries in the game. Fifteen carries of Bucko seven on the ground. Impressive rushing performance uh, from him, and then it was Travis Kelsey's show receiving wise. He stepped up. Uh, he stepped up. No uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. No uh, McCole Hardman. Of course, Tyree Kill no longer on his football team. Travis Kelsey steps up when the lights shine the brightest. Six receptions, 115 yards on the ground. Excuse me, 115 yards receiving and three touchdown catches on 10 targets for the great 
Travis, uh, for the, or excuse me, Mahomes did fumble. I apologize. Uh, but for the great Travis Kelsey, impressive night at the office for him. And then the Chargers just didn't bother. I mean, they had one assignment defensively. Derwin James, I mean, come on, man. They had one assignment defensively, and that's to make sure that Travis Kelsey didn't wreck havoc on the game and take over the game. And what happens? Travis Kelsey wrecked havoc and took over the football game. Defense had one job, one job. And they could not execute it properly. Herbert only had seven incomplete passes, 27 to 30, 282 touchdowns. Had the terrible interception with some horrendous throws at the end of the at during the uh, Chargers' last gasp at the end of uh, regulation in the fourth quarter. Herbert got sacked five times. Excellent job by the uh, they were the by the Chiefs' defensive pass rush. They were able to get after Herbert a bunch. Uh, they allowed Austin Eckler to run for 83 yards on the ground, 19 carries, and a touchdown running run defense for the Chiefs was suspect as the Chargers ran for a buck 15 on the ground. Eckler, of course, the aforementioned touchdown. And Parmer had a nice game 10, ten on 10 targets, 8 receptions, 106 receiving yards, 2 touchdowns. Keenan Allen, his game back, 5 receptions, 94 yards. Impressive day for him. But the Chargers' defense inability to stop Travis Kelsey came back to bite him in the ass there at the end. They left too much time when the Chargers went down the field on their second-to-last offensive drive, 10 plays, 64 yards, and they scored a touchdown and left a minute and 46 seconds left, which was an eternity for Mahomes and Kansas City to do their job. Now Kansas City, even after a loss to Buffalo, Kansas City somehow, some way, finds itself with only one lo- with only two losses, on the regular season, on the road to the Colts and at home to the aforementioned Buffalo Bills. They hold the number one seed in the AFC, uh, a number one seed in the AFC over them, over the Dolphins, Titans, and Ravens, who are all tied with a 7-3 and three, a record, 2-4. through four. Even Buffalo, who, are, who, is in sec- who is in second place in the AFC East and holds a wild card spot, the fifth seed at 7-3. and three. Chiefs 8-2. Eight and, eight and uh, hold the number one seed. They, uh, you look at their schedule. They have down the stretch. They have the Rams this week, which is a which will be an easy game for them. Got to get up against Cincinnati. You know, re- third time this calendar year they'll have they'll go. Second time this calendar year they'll go to the jungle. Third time this calendar year they'll play the Bengals. They got them on December the fourth. That's a game that if I that Kansas City has to have to prevent Buffalo or or the or the Dolphins creeping up from behind to steal the number one seed from them. And a game also that they need if Cincinnati were to go on a little bit of a run and have tiebreaker over them. If it ever came down to that in terms of seeding is concerned, I don't think it will, but still you don't want to uh you know it's a game that Kansas City has to have. I mean they lost to the Bengals twice in January earlier this calendar year Last season, it's a game. It's it's their it's their lone hard game they have remaining on the schedule, uh, and uh, and the game against the, and a game against the Seahawks on Christmas Eve, home against Seattle is a game that Seattle will have to have in order to fight off uh, the 49ers for first place in the NFC West. But they still got the Broncos twice, the Raiders who stink, and the Texans, and then the Rams who are dead, much to my uh, delight. So Kansas City has one, maybe two. I don't see Seattle walking into Arrowhead and beating them. They have one loss, one potential loss remaining on the schedule, which would give them three. When get the number one seed at fourteen and three, and win the division by a damn landslide, because the Chargers still can't find a way to beat Kansas City. 
when the game matters the most. And the Broncos are the worst with Russell Wilson, who's washed. The Raiders stink. And the, uh, there's another team I'm forgetting. The, uh, the, the Raiders, the Broncos, Kansas City is another team I'm forgetting in the West. Uh, the Raiders, the Broncos, Kansas City. Who's the fourth team? Who's the fourth team? The Raiders, the Broncos, the Chiefs, and the Chiefs. I guess I hit all of them. Anyway, take a break. We'll preview the three Thanksgiving Day games coming up. The um, tell like a TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelakitiais podcast. Close out the show. We have three Thanksgiving Day games uh, on tap here to uh, preview and break down here for you. And by the way, this is, and I found this out, I believe on Sunday, that this is the second highest combined winning percentage out of the six teams that are playing on uh out of six teams, the two, four, yeah, the six teams that are playing on uh, Thursday. This is the highest combined winning percentage for a th- for a set of Thanksgiving Day games since two thousand and eleven, which I found to be very. The only team that's above that's below five hundred playing on Thanksgiving is the Lions at four and six, and they're on a three game winning streak and have a li- and have a little bit of and uh, and have some juice with them heading into this heading into their uh, game uh, against. Buffalo. So you got three games, Bills and Lions, Giants, Cowboys, Patriots and Vikings, uh, Patriots and Vikings, the nightcap on NBC, the Giants and Cowboys, the 430 game on Fox, and in the early game, Bills and Lions, it's an even year, so in even years, uh, CBS does the Lions game, and uh, and the Cowboys do the, uh, or excuse me, Fox does the Cowboys game, then on odd years, Fox gets the Lions and CBS Gets the uh, gets the uh, Dallas Cowboys, but this is a this is these some very very good intriguing games here on the schedule coming up on uh, coming up in a few days on Thursday. I'll do the first one first. Bills and Bills and Lions, Buffalo, impressive uh, imp- impressive victory, and that's a game that that Buffalo had to have the heartbreaking uh, the heartbreaking loss. Uh, against the uh, against the Vikings the week before, and then they had a chaotic week where it was a huge snowstorm and players were snowed in. Neighbors had to come in and shovel players out of their garages, out of their driveways, snow blowers, and any other. They couldn't practice. They couldn't practice on uh, on Friday. They found out Thursday that the game was being moved to Detroit. And after all of that, that was a game that Buffalo had just had to go to Detroit, put the weather and the, and the chaos behind them, get to Detroit, reset mentally 
on to Cleveland and beat the hell out of the Browns and just get just win a game just to get the awful taste of how their week 10 game against uh, their week 10 game against Minnesota the week before ended with the botch snap inside the inside the one yard line and and the bad de- and the bad defense and the Allen red zone interceptions and Dalvin Cook having a huge rushing game not being able to stop the run Justin Jefferson's career day they had to get all of that out of out of their system and they just needed and they needed to beat the Cleveland Browns and and they ended up uh, and they ended up doing that on Sunday they head into this game on they head into this game on Thursday with a uh, with a uh, seven with a seven and uh, with a seven and three record that is tied with that is tied with uh, three other teams in the a in the AFC playoff picture right now the Dolphins the Titans and the Ravens the Bills hold uh, the Bills hold tiebreaker over the Titans and the Ravens the kicker is that the Titans and the Ravens are in first place in their respective divisions the Buffalo Bills are not they are currently the 5th seed first wild card sitting behind the Miami Dolphins who are in first place had to buy this week over the over this past this week over this past week and they have the Dolphins had to buy and they currently hold tiebreaker over uh the uh, Buffalo Bills who uh who won the who beat the uh Bills head to head uh in late September down at uh down at Hard Rock Stadium. Buffalo, this is a game for them that they cannot take lightly. They're nine and a half point favorites. This is a game that Buffalo cannot take lightly. The t- the Lions are playing well. They beat they've beaten Detroit. They beat uh the, they beat the Packers their previous home game. They went out there and they had their most complete win of the season uh, against the against the Giants a few days ago. And the Detroit Lions right now, if you look at the playoff seedings in the NFC, the Viking excuse me the uh the Lions right now are only three games back of the Seahawks. Now, Seattle has the tiebreaker over Detroit, who, uh, over Detroit, uh, in terms of, in terms of seating, and Seattle fell out of first place with the 49er win on Monday night because the 49ers beat Seattle head-to-head in week two up in, uh, oh, excuse me, over in Santa Clara. So the Seahawks only are, they have the same record with the 49ers, but the 49ers are in first place via tiebreaker, and Seattle, uh, and Seattle has a six and four, uh, six and four record, albeit they have the tiebreaker over the Giants, the uh the giants have yet the giants um uh, the the giants won the same week that seattle lost the giants beat the texans last sunday and the seahawks lost to tampa over in germany so that's your differential between the 6 and 17 between seattle and the uh, and the giants but going back to the lions they have a 4 and 6 record they are 3 games back they're currently behind the commanders who are at 6 and 5 which if the Cardinals had won, they would be currently holding the uh, seventh seed and Seattle will still be in first place. Uh, and the Falcons are at five and six at two and a half games back. The Lions, you look at their schedule, the Lions have, uh, they have, after the Bills on Thursday, they have the Jaguars at home, the Vikings at home, it's a hard game, Jets hard game, that's hard game number two, Panthers winnable game, Bears winnable game at the Packers winnable game. 
So let's say they fall to four and seven. They lose to the Bills on Sunday, on Thursday, five and seven, five and eight, uh, five and nine. Let's say for the sake of conversation, Zach Wilson isn't a double agent. Five and nine, then they could go six and nine, seven and nine, eight and nine. They could go eight, they go eight and nine, and would probably barely miss the playoffs. They would ha- they if they if they beat the them be I put it like I put it like this them beating the Bills could go a long way. If they could beat the Bills or take one of two against Minnesota and the Jets back to back weeks fourteen and fifteen, they have a puncher's chance. A lot of teams they got to jump and they don't have tiebreaker over a few of them. Uh, they do have tiebreaker over the Giants, which is a positive, but they don't have one over over the Commanders and over what, Seattle, two teams who they've lost to at home earlier in the regular season. But the, if they pulled off a miracle and upset Buffalo or and or able to take one of two uh, back-to-back against the Vikings and the, and the Jets, they have a chance. But they're currently sitting at 4-6. and six. You look at uh, you look at the uh, Lions right now. They current, the, excuse me, their recent news: Josh Reynolds was limited in practice on Tuesday. DJ Shark was limited. The key for the Lions in this game is being able to stop the run. They were able to do that very successfully against Saquon Barkley and the Giants. Daniel Jones had kept their rushing attack in check on Sunday, and the, the Lions be able to stop the run on the defensive side. And also just put and also be able to match Buffalo. I don't know if they can do it, but offensively, you got to be able to match Buffalo score for score. Be if you force Josh Allen to force Josh Allen to overthink, make it, make the mistakes inside the red zone, force the force uh, force the issues. A lot of a lot of uh, disguise coverages, especially inside the red zone, fool them a little bit. Get him, get him, get him off his off his rhythm. Where you know you're knocking him around a little bit, incomplete passes, the easy check down plays, and the big plays downfield. Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis take those away from. Him. Get him to think a little bit. Get him to think quick on his feet inside the red zone. Cap force a cut, force a turnover or two, and get the ball right back and march down the field, put the ball in the end zone. And in turn, be able to stop the run, stop the run, and offensively match him touchdown for touchdown. They did. They did a. They did a very not a great job, but a but a but a good job running the football against the Giants last week. Buffalo, who uh, Buffalo, who in their game against um, in their game against uh, against the Browns on Sunday allowed for the Cleveland Browns to run for uh, to run for only eighty yards on the ground, which was a tremendous improvement. They held Nick Chubb only nineteen. Yards rushing on the ground, and Kareem Hunt only 32 carries on five rushes. So the so the Buffalo Bills, at least for this moment in time, they were able to. And the Browns got a hell of a running game. They were able to. Uh, they were able to keep the Browns' running game in check. It'd be interesting to see if uh, how or how they do against uh, and how the game plan against Jamal Williams, who ran the ball very effectively against the Giants on Sunday. That is uh, item number one. And I, and from a Buffalo side of things. Josh, Josh Young for him to play his game. He was eighteen or twenty-seven. Didn't try to. Didn't do too much. Didn't try to uh, take on more that he could take on more that he could bear. Limit the turnovers. Only he had zero interceptions. They would run the football effectively. Cook and Singletary both rushed for eighty-six yards a pair. Singletary had the one rushing touchdown, and Dawson Knox 
was uh, the leading receiver with seven receptions on seven targets, seven seventy yards receiving, and uh, and Stephon Diggs had a touchdown uh, reception. So limit the mistakes if you're Buffalo, and don't bite off more than you can chew and get too greedy. Because this is a because the, the Detroit Lions offense they can give them the opportunity they can they can score a little bit. Problem is, will their defense be able to get off the field, force turnovers, and keep Buffalo out of the end zone? They've done an act. They were they weren't great defensively against in their win against the uh, in their win against the Bears, which they were lucky courtesy of the missed extra point. But they were very solid in their win against Green Bay and very solid in their win against the Giants on Sunday. The Bills and Lions is game number one. Game number two, the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants. Kind of touched on this a little bit, talking about the Cowboys uh, and their win against the Vikings. Viking Cowboys got to be extra careful to make sure that they don't get too high off their own uh, off their own praise. Kind of, you know, today essentially was a day where they had to flush their win against the uh, Vikings out the uh, out the memory box and then reset button because the because the Giants who like I've said earlier in the show they've lost two out of the last three games they're seven and three got a lot of injuries banged up heading into this game the Giants need this game more so for their own morale than necessarily win loss and in terms of the wild card chase with Seattle of course the seventh seed holding the tiebreaker over their heads but the but the Giants need this game. That and 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 with the Giants, like I said, recapping their loss against the Lions, they got you got in order for the Giants to win, you got to agree to play on their terms. That means you got to be they got to be able to run the football, play from ahead, and and limit the opportunities Daniel Jones has to possibly make a mistake. And when the Giants have to play from a deficit. And they have to, and they have to march down the field and put the ball in the end zone by throwing the ball, like like Jared, like like Goff did to a certain, like Goff did to a certain degree uh, last week, and 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 what and what they may have to do against Dak, they 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 don't win a whole lot of football games because they're not, they don't have, they're not as talented on both sides of the ball, and don't have enough playmakers on offense. Throw in the fact that they're also starting to rack up the a lot of injuries. Where they can overcome, uh, you know, playing from a playing from a twenty-eight to fourteen or fourteen nothing uh, hole. They don't have they don't have you know the playmakers that the Vikings have or that or that the Buffalo Bills have. Where they can overcome that. So the Giants got to be able in order for you to be in order for the Giants to win. They got to make their opponent play on their terms. And if they and if that's possible, can the Dallas Cowboys beat the Giants at their own game? That's not forcing the issue with Dak Prescott throwing the football 35, 40, 45 times when the Evan Florida game is is showing you and is staring at you dead in your face that you can't that 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 that, that formula of having Dak Prescott play hero ball ain't gonna ain't gonna cut it out for you. Can they stick within their means, beat the Giants at their own game, run the football well effectively with Tony Pollard, Dak Prescott convert on third downs, which he struggled with. This season, convert on third downs when the opportunity presents itself, and stick the ball in the end zone and be perfect inside the red zone. Because I think if the Giants force the Cowboys 
to play to beat them at their own game, I think that I think the Dallas Cowboys still have a great chance because they have a fantastic defense. D. Law Parsons, like we discussed earlier in the show, wrecked havoc on the on Dallas on the uh, Minnesota Vikings offensive line. I expect them to do the same thing to uh, Daniel Jones and the Giants uh, coming up on Thursday. They did an excellent job of getting after uh, Daniel. They did an excellent job against Daniel Jones and that. Um, and that uh and that uh giants offensive line when they beat them back in back on September the 26th on Monday night 23-16 they sacked uh they sacked Daniel Jones five times in that one and D-Law and Parsons had a had a, a field day on that Monday night in late in late September i expect the same thing out of them coming up on Sunday i think the new york i think the uh, Dallas Cowboys are going to get the job done and beat the uh, Giants more or less by like a 28 to 13, 28, 14 type of affair. I think you there, I think the opportunity will present itself for the Cowboys kind of start out sluggish out the gate, but either a Daniel Jones interception, a fumble, a bad drive, and a momentum will switch, and the Dallas Cowboys will be able to, will be able to uh, get the job done. But I got full fledged confidence that that giant, that the uh, Cowboys defensive uh, line, will be able to tee off on Daniel Jones like they did in late September. The question is, will the, if the Giants play from ahead and say, listen, you're going to have to control the clock and, and run the football down our throats in order to beat us, will Kellen Moore get stubborn and get pig-headed, or not pig-headed, but, uh, but uh, uh, I th- I've, whatever the word is, headed, that means stubborn, will he get like that and be hell-bent but having Dak Prescott throw the throw the Cowboys to victory when all intents and purposes shows that you got to be able to pound the rock, control the clock, and play a little bit conservative and beat the Giants at their own at at their uh, at their own game. If you look uh, for if you look for uh, look at the injuries, I mean they got Bellinger is out. Belton, who injured his shoulder uh, in the game on Sunday, is lim- was limited practice today. Questionable. Uh, he's listed as questionable. Bredson, he won't return till week 13. They got a lot of guys on injured reserve. Eredu, their offense, their guard with a neck, he didn't practice. He's questionable for Thursday. Their center done with a neck injury as well, did not practice. He's questionable. Uh, Foster's got a hamstring injury. Their wide receiver, he's questionable with an injury. Uh, Jackson is out this week uh, with an with an MCL injury. James had an injury. He's questionable. Giants got a lot of injuries. Short week. I don't think they'll be able to get it done this week. I think so. The, the Cowboys finally, for a change, will be able to get the job done on uh, on Thanksgiving Day. As for you know, as for Dallas, they got Barr questionable. He didn't practice today. And Zeke was limited in practice today with the with a knee injury. He is also listed as questionable. Cowboys nine point favorites. We move on to game number three. Game number three: Pats and Vikings. Vikings, and I forgot to mention this going through the uh, Cowboy and Viking recap. You know, with the with the Vikings, keep in mind historically they have not been. You know, in the Minneapolis Miracle, 2017, five years ago, a miracle game. They thought they were they were done. They were finished. The Saints had them on the ropes, dead to rights, and all of a sudden, miracle, 
uh, finish Case Keenum to uh, Stephon Diggs down the sideline, and they steal a game. Next thing you know, they won one away from coming back to their own home stadium to host the Super Bowl. What happened? They went on the road to Philadelphia, got punched in the mouth. This time, this season, they they uh, had the miracle finish. They thought they were dead at rights. Kirk Cousins couldn't sneak it in at the half-yard line. Next thing you know, Josh Allen fumbles the snap. Vikings take the lead, only for the defense to give a lead right back. March down the field, kick a field goal. Vikings opening possession, stalls out, but they able to put points on the board. Pat Pete, interception inside the red zone. Vikings win a game that they should have had won and had lost 30 different ways. Come back next week at home, get punched in the mouth by the Dallas Cowboys. So I think this is a prime opportunity, for, especially with the Patriots, who kind of deal with that same situation themselves. You know, uh, um, not that that game was in danger of being lost. If they didn't have that kick, that 84-yard uh, return, you know, the game would have went in overtime. They'd probably still be playing. But um, it would have ended in a 3-3 tie, probably, probably in my estimation. But, you know, they're coming off of a uh, a, a thrilling last-second victory themselves over the Jets with that with that punt return. So they're kind of dealing with the same thing. How will the Patriots respond? You know, Belichick, best coach, the greatest coach in my opinion in the history of National Football League, greatest head coach ever. You know, you know, he came in there Monday, Tuesday, going, "Listen, forget that game. We stunk on offense. In order to beat this team with all the weapons they got, Cousins and Jefferson and Adam Thielen and Hawkinson at tight end and Dalvin Cook running back, we gotta be able to score points and keep up with these guys." and Yes, it was good enough to beat the Jets last week, or not even last week, a few days ago on Sunday. Us scoring three points offensively and folk missing kicks ain't going to be good enough for going up against this high-flying offense in their building prime time Thanksgiving night. It ain't going to be good enough. So we got to be able to put the ball in the end zone, capitalize inside the red zone, which they feel they're doing uh, against the Jets on Sunday. And we got to be able to put up points if we if we think we got a chance to, to beat this team. Because Belichick knows, I appreciate sure put it put that in the head of all of his offensive players today. You can't beat the Minnesota Vikings scoring ten points. You can beat them, but you can't beat them scoring ten points. You score ten points against them, it's going to be a long night for you. You can beat them, as 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 the Dallas Cowboys have shown, and the Eagles way back in week two have shown. But you, but ten points ain't going to cut it. You got to put up twenty eight. You got to put up at minimum twenty eight to give yourselves to give yourselves an opportunity to walk out of there with the win. And then from a, and then from a Viking side of things, flush that bad loss down the toilet, wash it out your mouth, and uh, bounce back and be prepared for the Patriots defensive front to tee off in a similar fashion that the Cowboys did five, about five days before, have a lot of blocking schemes ready to pick up. You know, Matt Judon's foaming at the mouth to get after uh, Kirk Cousins, and you and you anticipate Belichick to kind of utilize him in a similar fa- set of fashion that Dan Quinn did with, uh, with Michael Parsons on Sunday. Pass protect, and you should be okay to at least put together a couple of drives offensively and Kirk Cousins not being a double agent and turning into a bona fide scrub any Dalton in prime time, and the Vikings should be able to win the game. Wouldn't shock me, though, if the Patriots found a way to win this game, you know, 21-17 or 24-10. Wouldn't shock me uh, whatsoever. But you got three good games. One out of the three will be an absolute classic. Um, the one you would... The one you... Uh, the one, I think... 
has the most likelihood of being a classic would probably be Bills Lions at 12:30. Giants and Cowboys would get the highest rating. Bills and Lions would probably be the best game. Patriots and Vikings, I think, is the one that could be 50-50 in coin flip of in terms of who's who's going to win and lose. Pay, the Vikings are only two and a half point favorites, but I think the Bills get it done. I think the Bills get it done in Detroit. Cowboys get it done against the Giants. Vikings get it done. And Kirk Cousins wins in prime time for a change against the New England Patriots. Don't forget, answer the poll question. Poll question of the episode is, who is the team to beat in the NFC? Is it the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Vikings, or the San Francisco 49ers? And the Q&A of the episode is, what is your Thanksgiving Day plans? Be sure to let us know at the I'm Tell Like, like a T.I. is podcast channel page exclusively on the Spotify app. Hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Be thankful for every good and perfect gift the good Lord has blessed you with over the year. Uh, spend time with your friends, or not your friends, that's Friendsgiving, with your family. Spend time with them. Safe travel journeys. Uh, if you're going to somewhere, to someone else's house, whether you're driving or you're flying, safe travel journeys. I'll talk to you guys to recap these three Thanksgiving games and look ahead to Sunday Week 12 action coming up on a Black Friday episode of the I'm Tell I Can Tell You podcast. Until then, be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DJ Shield, the show on Instagram at I'm Tell underscore podcast, and the show on Twitter at I'm Tell underscore it is. It's your boy, Jai Shields. Be sure to catch me on a Wednesday night tailgate with Mike Rerick and Anthony Zavala on Spotify Live coming up at 6.30 on Wednesday night. Until then, I'm Jai Shields. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. See you.